Want to grow your connection with God, learn how to share your faith, and support others? St. Joseph's College of Maine has just the micro-credential for you, becoming an effective catechist. Enrollments are open now. For more information, call 508-925-4762. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. What I shared with the Pope was what I would call lights and shadows of the LGBTQ community worldwide. So kind of an examination of conscience. So what are the positive developments and what are the negative developments? First up today, our colleague Father James Martin joins Jerry in the studio just outside the Vatican to talk about his one-on-one meeting with the Pope and the positive reception that he's had in Rome. November 13th will mark the annual World Day of the Poor, established by Pope Francis back in 2016 at the close of the Extraordinary Jubilee of Mercy. Up next, Pope Francis celebrated the sixth World Day of the Poor on Sunday, bringing back the Free Medical Clinic in St. Peter's Square and hosting 1,300 poor and homeless people for a free lunch. The president of the Bishops' Conference of France read out the public confession by the French Cardinal. The confession was received like a shock and that all of the accused will face either prosecution or church disciplinary procedures. Finally, we'll give you an update on the case of French Cardinal Jean-Pierre Ricard, and we'll decode the Vatican statement announcing an investigation into the Cardinal's confession of abuse. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Joining me today, as usual, is my co-host, Gerard O'Connell. Welcome to Inside the Vatican, Jerry. Hello from gray skies and a slightly rainy Rome, Colleen. And we have another guest today next to you in the studio, Father Jim Martin, who just had a meeting with Pope Francis. Welcome Inside the Vatican, Jim. Uh, grazie, Colleen. <laughs> You're working on your Italian this week. I'm trying. <laughs> Lovely. We'll have to do a special edition in Italian. <laughs> So you are in Rome right now for a meeting of the Vatican's Dicastery for Communications, of which you're a member, a consultor. And while you've been in town, you've had a number of big events and meetings. But the one we want to talk to you about, of course, is your 45-minute meeting with the Pope on Friday, which we should say is a really long time. What can you tell us about your, your time with the Pope? Well, it's funny you should say that because when I got out of the meeting, one of the papal gentlemen, you know, kind of in the antechamber said, a lungo. It was long. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can't reveal what the Pope said, but I can say that uh, it was a very warm meeting, very inspiring. We talked for about 45 minutes, uh, mainly about LGBTQ Catholics ministering to them. It was just very encouraging. He seemed in great form. A lot of laughter, a lot of smiles. Uh, The meeting was uh, translated by a fellow named Father Ekpo, who's a Nigerian priest uh, who translated in perfect Spanish because my Spanish isn't very good. But at the beginning, I read a sort of precy of the things that I thought he might be interested to know about. And uh, it was great. I was, I mean, this is only the second time that I've met him for any extended period of time. And I felt the same as I did the first time, uh, really elated, but this time more relaxed. I think we were (laughs) both more relaxed Uh, and he just seemed great. He was just glowing and laughing and smiling. And it was a great 45 minutes, uh, really memorable. Since most heads of state get about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, uh, Jim has topped them. <laughs> but the, the, the reality is, of course, uh, 
uh, it depends on the Pope, on the time. It, Jim was before the Dutch bishops. Right. Mm -hmm. Also, it was very significant that the Pope met him in the Apostolic Palace. What's the significance of that? Well, this is a very public way of saying you've been received by the Pope. Mm. So it's a message to be received in the Apostolic Palace. It means that the Pope wants this known publicly. And the same happened the first time when you came two years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, an affirmation. Can you tell us anything about the precy that you gave the Pope? Yeah, I can say in general, what I shared with the Pope was what I would call lights and shadows of the LGBTQ community worldwide. So kind of an examination of conscience. So what mm. are the positive developments and what are the negative developments? And the gift I gave him, I, I really thought a lot about it. Um, I gave him a copy of my book in, in Spanish. Also a note from my nephew, uh, Matthew, who I know you know, who <laughs> likes to know. write to the Pope. <laughs> but I thought a long time about something that I could give him that's personal. And my bedroom in my Jesuit community is a copy of an icon uh, that hung in our Jesuit novitiate um, called Christ the Life Giver. And I just I just love it. It's my favorite icon. I wanted to give him something that I look at every day that was from, was from my novitiate. I was really happy that I gave it to him because as I gave it to him, it wasn't just here's a pretty icon that I like. I told him the story and you could see him really paying attention through the translator. Like I wanted to give him something that really meant something personally. Mm -hmm. Did the Pope give you anything? It, he gave me what he gave gives everyone, uh, which is a, a rosaries and prayer cards. Cool. Yeah. One of the interesting things is how do you get to the office and you you present yourself uh, at what's called the Porta Santa Ana, which is the kind of one of the main gates. The Swiss guard check your invitation to make sure it's authentic. Then uh, another Swiss guard brings you into a waiting room. And I, I was early, of course. And then finally, another Swiss guard brings you up to a series of waiting rooms, uh, which are essentially throne rooms. And then you meet one of the papal gentlemen. Uh, who takes you into a kind of ante room, which is beautiful, where there's an El Greco portrait of Jesus, which I don't think is a copy. Uh, and then you're waiting there. And then one of the secretaries comes out and says, you know, come on in and opens the door. And there he is smiling, which really just, I thought, charmed me. Uh, he just started talking right away. <laughs> he wasn't, <laughs> it, you know, it wasn't like some formal thing. I know a little Spanish. Uh, and then I gave him the gift and then we, you know, kind of started off. Uh, but it, it's exciting. I mean, I don't think I can I, I will never forget those two meetings as no. long as I live. They really were a high point in my not my not only my Jesuit life but my my life life. <laughs> Your life life. One detail you told Jerry for his print story was that the Pope was able to stand up and give you a blessing. Was he steady on his feet? I know we we spend a lot of time talking about the Pope's knee. <laughs> he was basically what was surprising for me was that uh, I knelt down to get his blessing, and he stood right up. Uh, you know, not, and you can tell if someone's, you know, grimacing or pushing himself up. Now he walks around on a cane. When he met the dicastery for communication, uh, he came in on a cane and, you know, he was sort of slow, uh, but he got up and down and didn't seem to be in too much pain. Uh, so I, I was really surprised. Speaking of that meeting of the dicastery for communications, since this was public, we're able to say a bit more about it. And one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you about is that the Pope very publicly praised your book, Learning to Pray. Uh, he told everyone to read it, quote, because it will teach you to pray. And then he said some kind words about you as a communicator who knows how to teach the way to communicate with God. What was it like to hear that? Well, it was funny. I was just telling Jerry uh, the other night that... Uh, 
it was in Italian. There was not an English uh, translation. And my Italian's okay, but not great. Mm-hmm. And I heard all these words, you know, communicazione and uh, personale and all these kinds of things. And then suddenly I hear, uh, oh, Vedo James Martin. I seen James Martin. And then he went on and on. And I could tell he was talking about something. And afterwards, uh, people said, yeah, don't worry. He was, <laughs> he was praising your book. But it was interesting. He had a prepared eight-page speech that he said, oh, no one wants to listen to an eight-page speech, and then really launched into a more of a, a kind of a personal reflection on communications and singled a couple people out. So I, I was delighted. And then uh, when I went up to him, I, afterwards, he kind of teased me about that. So it was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was great. It was really lovely. And again, he seemed in great spirits, a lot of laughter and a lot of, a lot of smiles. Good. It's a big plug for Jim's book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you call, you use the word shout out. We don't use that here in Europe much, but I, I think it's uh, an extraordinary thing that you gave him a book, Learning to Pray. You gave him it in Spanish, I understand. I did, yeah. And so he must obviously have flipped through the book that night because he's a quick reader as well. And so mm. he, he got a feel for the book and uh, for him to publicly kind of recommended to communicators, I think it was a very strong, strong endorsement of uh, the work that Jim is doing and saying, you know, there's this deep side to him. He said he works hard. That's what mm-hmm. he said in the in the speech. And uh, the, the Pope only mentioned three or four people, and you were one of them. And th- this was, uh, I, I think, uh, very significant. Mm-hmm. And he, he obviously, the cameras were there, the television, so it wasn't a private event. And I, I think you must go back to New York really thrilled and, and uh, affirmed by all this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It was a, it's definitely a worthwhile trip. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I, you know, I've met other people, too, uh, to, uh, you know, talk about writing, but also the LGBTQ ministry. And mm-hmm. it's... I think it's a, it's a place where personal context means so much. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a, it's a good investment of time. But, you know, I would have blown over just for that 45-minute meeting with the Pope. I was struck by the fact you haven't been here for two years. Right. Uh, I, I asked you the other night, and I think you can share it with our audience as well, how you found the atmosphere in town. The way I, I, because I was at this meeting at the St. Francis Xavier Church at Caravita, and there were 150, 200 people, and nobody left his talk. It went on for two hours, and it was really impressive, and many of them were young people. This is a talk on LGBT ministry? Yes. Yeah, and actually the first in-person talk I've given in two years, uh, the first time I've been out of the country in two years, on a plane in two years. So it was, it was really exciting. I told them, I said, I came all the way to Rome just to do my first in-person talk. I think one of the things that surprised me was the openness of people here to this uh, topic. Certainly, there was a lot of interest at what, what's called the Caravita Center, which is right near the Church of St. Ignatius. But the other thing that surprised me was, you know, without revealing names, even in the dicastery meeting and the people that we spoke with, a lot of people coming up to me saying, thank you for your work. This is so important. After I got here, I was just surprised at, at how open people were and how interested they were in this ministry. So it's been really gratifying in that sense, too. It's a little different from the reception you sometimes get in the U.S. I think that's right. And that's that's been a surprise. You know, I think uh, a person who's not too familiar with the church might think, oh, the Vatican, they must be so so sort of traditionalist about this. And no, actually, over here, uh, people are much more open to it. That's my that's my experience this uh, this week. Yes, and I, I was struck almost immediately after your audience with the Pope when I posted my story. I, I saw that 
the story was picked up in Spain, and it was in Vida Nueva in Spain. Mm-hmm. I've seen it in other Spanish publications. It got picked up in French. It it really reaches out to people, mm-hmm. and uh, I think this is a very interesting aspect of the ministry. It means that out there, there are a lot of people who are interested and want to have this good news in a way. And I think more and more people recognize that, let's say, the LGBTQ community is maybe 5% of the population. That's a figure that I've seen. People think, well, it's just 5%. Well, actually, when you think about it, if it's their brothers and sisters and parents and uncles and nieces and nephews, it's a large part of the population. And especially for young people, uh, these are their friends. Uh, and so it's it's actually for such a sort of specific issue and specific uh population, it reaches a lot of people. And so that may be one of the reasons there's so much interest. Well, Jim, I remember uh, after your first meeting with the Pope, you came back to our office in New York and you were like on cloud nine floating around the office. And I I imagine you're feeling that way again now. And uh, so I appreciate you coming on to to tell us about this this special meeting that you had with the Pope. It's my pleasure. And as we say here, piacere. (laughs) Thanks. You can find Jerry's story on Father James Martin's meeting with Pope Francis at americamagazine.org and, as always, linked in the description of this episode. After the break, Jerry and I look at the Vatican's World Day of the Poor initiatives. We'll also give you an update on the French abuse case that we covered last week. Stay with us. This Sunday, November 13th, was the sixth World Day of the Poor, and Pope Francis celebrated a special Mass and then had lunch with more than a thousand poor and homeless people in honor of the day. Jerry, before we get into his homily at the Mass and the lunch, can you give me some background on what the World Day of the Poor is? Our listeners might not know that the Pope started it. Well, Pope Francis was elected in 2013, and he came with real commitment to the poor, so much so that in the inauguration ceremony, sitting right on the front row, near where the ambassadors are, uh, was the head of the Waste Pickers Union in Buenos Aires. So he's always been close to the poor, and he felt that it was necessary that the papacy should be close to the poor. And so he set out doing this by moving out of the palace, by refusing to go to the papal residence in Castle Gondolfo, that's now open to the public, and by starting initiatives in the Vatican itself. Mm -hmm. He appointed the almoner, the kind of charity giver of the Pope, which was always an office, but really, I wouldn't say invisible, but was very low-level office. He decided to upgrade this office, mm-hmm. and he gave the, he appointed Konrad Krajewski, a Polish priest, as the head of this office because he learned that this Polish priest was going around Rome at night and helping the poor people. And he made him a cardinal. He made him a cardinal later, and now this office is one of the three most important offices in the Vatican. Mm-hmm in the new reform. And so he said, but that's not enough. He asked him to provide uh, showers and a place for the uh, poor people, the homeless people, where they could go and get uh, washed and clean and get haircuts and such like, right under the papal, Mm -hmm. near where was the old post office in the Vatican. 
And a lot of people weren't so happy with this idea in the Vatican. Then last week, he had another service providing health care for the poor people. So around this, around this day each year, there is a whole week where any poor or sick person can come, get all the analysis they need, the, the tests. the And so he, he's multiplied. He's brought the poor people in to visit the Sistine Chapel. He's provided them to get meals. And on Sunday, after the Mass, he offered lunch for 1,300 people. And he went and sat and had lunch with them. And so there's some beautiful photos of one of a little kid with his arms around the Pope. But he was there in the midst of them. And you can see joy in his face. He believes the poor are at the center of the gospel. And so when I'm with them, I'm where I should be. Jerry, I have a question for you about this this World Day of the Poor. It's called the World Day. Does it extend beyond the Vatican at all? Well, the, the reason for this, he said, not not enough for me to get the Vatican in touch with the poor. I want every church around the world to have this focus to understand the poor are the center of the gospel. And so he established the World Day of the Poor, just as Paul VI did way back in the I think the beginning of the 1970s or the end of the 1960s, he started the World Day of Peace, the 1st of January. And it's become a big event now around the world where people reflect on peace issues, etc. He wants this World Day of the Poor to be exactly the same kind of event in every parish, in every diocese, in every national church, that this day is celebrated in some concrete ways, as well as in the liturgy, on the 30th third Sunday of the ordinary time in the liturgical cycle, the church's liturgy. And so it, it is taking on, and uh, people are doing it in parishes. And I, I reckon that, you know, 10 years down the line, it will become a significant event. He wants attention to poverty at the local and at the global level. You mentioned this is held on the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time, so maybe we can take a look at the liturgical part of this, which is that the Pope did celebrate a Mass for this holiday, and he used his homily there to deliver a really powerful message about both the suffering of poor people and the suffering of people in Ukraine. Can you raise a few of the, the main points from that homily for us? Well, the first thing was he said, uh, we've not to give in to the prophets of doom. He said a lot of people are seeing the situation going from bad to worse. And of course, the mm -hmm. poverty in the world is increasing. And take Ukraine, where you have a quarter of the population now removed from their homes. Right. And even as we speak, missiles have been landing in Kiev, and they're aimed at the water supply, at the electricity supply, as winter comes, really crimes against humanity. And Francis is very much aware of this. Mm -hmm. And he said... We've got not to give in to the prophets of doom and see the things going from bad to worse, but we've got instead, as Christians, to light candles of hope. And he said, we've got to say in the midst of this disaster, what is God saying to us? In the midst of the war in Ukraine, what is God saying to us? In the midst of the poverty and injustice we see around the world, what is God saying to us? And he said, he's calling us to action. He said, it's not the style of the Christian just to give in and bow down to the great sufferings. We have to try and 
do something about it. There's also a hopeful example for us here in just the fact that the Vatican is, is setting this example. So this was the first time in a couple of years that they've been able to have this free health clinic for a week, like you mentioned. It's the first time that they've had this big free lunch uh, since before the pandemic. And so maybe the fact that the Vatican is bringing these things back can be an inspiration for local parishes to get back on their ministry to the poor if, if that has stalled during the pandemic. You know, the popes traditionally wrote encyclicals. They sent messages on various occasions. Francis is doing things. He's sending pictures across the world that touch people's hearts and minds. And it's it's a a nonverbal encyclical that he is producing by installing the World Day of Poor. I think that could be a whole review of the last 10 years of the Francis Papacy, just his nonverbal encyclicals. For listeners, you can read more about the World Day of the Poor, including Jerry's write-up of the Pope's very powerful homily on the suffering of the poor and of Ukrainians at americamagazine.org and linked in the show notes. For our last story this week, we wanted to give an update on what we covered last week about the French Cardinal Jean-Pierre Ricard admitting to abusing a 14-year-old girl 35 years ago. When we last updated you, there had been no word yet from the Vatican, but now we know that the Vatican is planning to conduct its own investigation into the case, which it's only likely to begin after French prosecutors finish their investigations. That's a pretty common procedure for the Vatican so that it can use the criminal prosecutor's evidence. But what's less common in this case is the fact that the perpetrator has very publicly confessed to this crime. So while all these investigations are ongoing, what's happening to Cardinal Ricard? Well, he's uh, supposed to be on a, a way praying, thinking. What we don't know, Colleen, I, I have been here long enough in the Vatican to see that we get statements, but they don't. They say something to satisfy the public demand, but they don't give the whole story. Mm-hmm. So I would not exclude that other things are happening behind the scenes, which they don't wish at this moment to put into the public domain. We have an extraordinary case here of one who admits publicly, confesses publicly to having abused a girl. So you you don't need an investigation to uh, discover this, whether he's done it or not, because he himself stated publicly. Why he stated publicly? Was the story going to be revealed in the press? Was there other pressures? Was it a crisis of conscience? We don't know. But all, all I say is that At the present moment, we have had a statement from the Vatican, because the Vatican had to say something. Uh, It seemed a kind of a minimal statement in a way. We wait for the French to carry out their investigation and then use the information from the French then to go forward. Uh, It it seems, uh, as I said, a minimal statement giving the public confession by the man in question. I would tend myself to see what comes next. Yeah, I think there's a lot of possibilities up in the air right now, and perhaps these are some of the things that that could be happening behind closed doors. Although, again, it's it's all speculation. But you know, presumably he'll be removed from his positions. I don't know why that hasn't happened yet. Well, for example, if this happened to a priest in a diocese, uh-huh. the priest would be out of the ministry in the morning. Yeah, why is that not the case for cardinals? That's what I'm wondering here. This is the question many are asking. Yep. And as I said, we have to wait and see what is going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. rather than what is being put in the public domain. Yeah, I think another big question this raises is 
why, why do we need to investigate when we have a confession, which you kind of alluded to before? Precisely. All right. So we will keep our listeners up to date on any developments in that story. It's a very unsatisfying conclusion for right now, but you can find all of our updates and analyses at americamagazine.org. Jerry, thanks for joining me again this week to talk through all these stories with Father Jim and for the World Day of the Poor and and now this last story. I appreciate it. Well, it's very good to have extra guests. We had Father Ricardo some weeks back. Now we have Father Jim and Uh I I think it it adds color and uh, more interest to our stories. Definitely. So onward we go. Sounds good. All right, Jerry, we'll talk to you soon. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Audio editing by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Cristobal Spielman at America Media and Robert Balasser at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest Vatican coverage from America Magazine, follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And you can find all of our Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org. While you're there, please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. It's easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell and Father James Martin, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next week. <laughs>